Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. So we're in Matthew chapter 2 and looking at verses 1 and 2. It's a story about the birth of Jesus. And here's the way that it reads. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who's been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, in this story about the birth of Jesus, you do get different responses from people. One, you see the response of the Magi. Uh, Their response, they said, we've come to worship him. Now, who were the Magi? Well, these were kind of considered some of the elite, and specifically if you go over into Persia, which is where these guys would have been from. They would have been highly educated. They would have been religiously focused kinds of people. Uh, The interesting thing is, is they come from a completely different background than those in the area of Jerusalem. Uh, So it's interesting that the Magi would respond the way that they do. They're coming from Persia. They, They were probably priests who were skilled in the interpretation of dreams, Uh, Some of these uh, were forbidden, even in Jewish law. But what God had done to the Magi is he had shown them through uh, the star that the king of the Jews was being born. He revealed something to people that were looking for God. He revealed something to them, and they saw fit to follow God's communication to find out what it is that God was revealing. It was quite a journey. You need to understand, the Magi, it's not like they traveled, you know, from here to Atascacita. And these guys were probably traveling for a couple of years. Most scholars even think that by the time they got there, Jesus was probably more of an infant than a baby in a manger. They thought that the journey to find God was worth it. It's worth it. Second response, notice that they mentioned this guy, Herod. You know, Herod was the king at that time. Well, how did he respond to the news? Well, it wasn't so good. I mean, Herod responded with hostility. In fact, Herod was famous for his murderous paranoia. He even had his own wife and sons murdered because he thought that they were plotting against him. And then he gets news that says, there's this guy that's been born the king of the Jews. And he's sitting there going, no, I'm afraid I'm the only ruler here. And so just like wife and children, uh, he's going to have to go. And so he sets out a plot against him. Carefully, he quizzes the Magi and then the religious leaders to determine where and when the new king would be born so that he could go and take him out. In other words, this guy's a hitman. But he didn't want to worship him, right? He wants to get him out of the way. That's a second response. I would highly recommend you don't follow his example because it's not a good one. Third one, how about the religious folk? You would think that, you would think that when God is revealing something to people, that it would be those that are religious that would be the ones that are the most excited that God is actually speaking. You would think that the religious ones, including the religious leaders, are the ones that would say, this is something that we have to go and respond to. God is at work. But it isn't how they responded. They responded, honestly, with indifference. They didn't really care. They asked where the Messiah would be born. They were given an answer as they should, and yet after hearing the Magi's news, they did absolutely nothing. None of them even bothered to go to Bethlehem to kind of check out what was going on. So the Magi of the three, they got the announcement. Their response was, he's here, we're going to go, and it matters, and when we get there, we're going to worship. 
But what they did on the front end is they set out on an all-out search to find the baby, to find what it was that God had revealed. They wanted to know. They wanted to see what God was up to. Do you see a contrast here between, oh, I don't know, the Magi and the religious? We'll skip Herod because his was obviously horrible. Do you see a difference in the response? Because the difference, one was of excitement and the journey is worth it. And the other is, I know you're not that far away, but I don't really care. And those were the religious people. Think about it. At best, the religious folks were actually apathetic about God. The religious folks, including the leaders, were the ones that didn't care. Now, that response is actually pretty common today. Many people in our culture are not hostile to Jesus. Most of the people that I talk with kind of during the course of a normal week, they're not hostile against Jesus. They don't care. They're not even thinking about it. It's just not something that hits their radar. Uh, there's a guy named Barry Kisman. He's a co-researcher for a survey that was done of people in the United States. And here's what he said. He said, the people aren't thinking about religion and rejecting it. They're just not thinking about it at all. Another researcher said that it wasn't so much that religion is a private personal issue. It's a non-issue. Most people just don't give a rip. Do you see a difference between the wise men and the religious people? And do you see how the religious people actually connect to where we're at right now? So the wise men went to great lengths to find Jesus. And when they got there, did you see their response? It says they bowed and they worshiped him. I'm pretty sure that that got Joseph and Mary's attention. What do you think? I mean, here you've got, here you've got little Jesus and you've got the parents that are there and people come and bow down in front of him. When's the last time somebody did that to your kid? <laughs> Probably got their attention. And especially because of the kind of people that showed up to do it. Like I said, the Magi, they were dignified people. And they stooped and they worshiped. And just so you know, the word worship, it means basically to kiss it forward. It was used of bowing down and kissing someone's feet, someone's feet or the hem of their garment. It was an act of submission and dependence and homage. It was an act of worship. It's basically a way of saying, you're greater than I am. You're more important than I am. And it was the dignified people that were saying it. You're more important than me. The Magi gave Jesus their best. Ran into a story some years ago. It was Christmas time. There was a kindergarten teacher. She was receiving gifts from the students before the Christmas break uh, happened. I'm sure all of the students gave presents to their teachers this year. Uh, now, one of the students was uh, a florist's son, and they, he came up and gave the box, and she kind of took it, and she shook it just a little bit. She goes, you know, I'm going to take a guess without opening it that there are flowers in here. And the little boy goes, oh, my gosh, how did you know that? There was another kid that, that came up, and uh, her parents were candy shop owners. And so took the box, and she shook it just a little bit. She goes, you know, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and take a guess. Is there candy in here? And the little girl goes, you got to be kidding me. How do you know that? And then there was a third little kid. He comes up. His parents owned a liquor store. <laughs> and gives a box. And as the teacher is, is holding it, it's like, it's kind of wet. And so she feels, 
And she like tasted it. She goes, well, is it wine in here? And the kid goes, nope. And she goes, taste it again? She goes, oh, wait, it's probably champagne. And the kid goes, nope, it's a puppy. (laughs) Now you can bring gifts. (laughs) The Magi brought their best. The Magi brought their best. What were some of the things that they brought? I think some of you probably know. They brought the king some gold. They brought him some gold, and that was the gift for a king. Uh, The Magi knew Jesus as the king of the Jews, and and at the trial, at the end of Jesus' life, Pilate would ask him, are you the king of the Jews? At the beginning of his life, they recognized him as that, and at the end of his life, that question is being asked, are you the king of the Jews? And Pilate, by the way, if you remember, ordered a sign to be hung on the cross above Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. It was written in Aramaic, Latin and Greek, so that everyone would know the charges that were against him. What kind of king is this? Who is born in a stable and dies as a criminal on a cross? It reminds me of a saying, but he, that is Jesus, he was to reign not by force, but by love. And he was to rule over our hearts, not from a throne, but from a cross. They brought him gold. They also brought him frankincense. This was, a, this was a gift for a priest. Frankincense is what would be used in temple worship. A priest, just so you know, is someone that brings man and God back together. In fact, the Latin word for a priest literally means the bridge builder. And so they brought him a gift that shows that he is the bridge builder between God and man. And of course, they brought him myrrh. And myrrh, just so you know, is a gift that was given for one that was to die. Myrrh was used to embalm dead bodies, a gift that was given to Christ at his birth that would foreshadow his death. He said that he came to give his life as a ransom for many, and that would include me and you. How many of you have seen a Hallmark movie this year? Get those hands up. Don't lie to me. Get them up. All right, there you go. So we got honest people. Uh, I've made fun of Hallmark movies before. (laughs) Because it's not hard to do. Uh, I've, so I've made, I've made fun of Hallmark movies before. Did you know about 10, 12 years ago that they only released somewhere around six Hallmark movies at Christmas? Did you know that? Did you know that this year they released somewhere over 45 of those things? And it's not hard to do when they're all the same. <laughs> all right, I had to get one more in and I'll quit. But you probably remember when it comes to Hallmark, you probably remember their tagline, when you care enough to send the very best. When you care enough to send the very best. So the Magi cared enough to give the very best. This Christmas, here's what I'd hope for you. What I hope for you is that you would be found in Christ. Now that's a saying that you find in scripture, but it has a pretty deep meaning to it. But this is what I'd hope for you. And you see this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10, where Paul said, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and under Christ. My hope for you this Christmas is that you would be found in Christ. But what does being in Christ mean? It really means two things. One is being in Christ, it's a status. Being in Christ is a status. Now, let me give you an example. If I had a bucket and a ball, and I put the ball in the bucket, the ball actually has a status. The status is it's, it's in the bucket. Does that make sense? Or if you think about it, think about marriage. When you fill out an application, you are often asked about your marriage status, right? You're asked, are you married? Are you single? Are you divorced? And so on. And if you check the married box, what you're indicating is that your status is married. And therefore, there are certain things that are true of you. One of the things is, is you're saying your life isn't your own. You share resources with each other. You share liabilities with each other. You have a status. Wendy and I have a status. We're married. And the status is something that we share uniquely with each other. But the second aspect of being in Christ is not just that you have a status, but that you actually have a relationship, not just a standing. Let, let, me, let me get back to the marriage illustration. You can be a marriage, you can be in a marriage, but not have much of a relationship with your spouse. You can be married and totally checked out of the building or the house. You can be married and be distant to each other. You can be married and you can be cold to each other. You can have a status of being married, but the relationship itself isn't actually happening. What I hope for you this Christmas is that you can claim both of those things is that you have a standing, you have a new status with Christ, namely that you are forgiven in Christ. And then the second is that you have the relationship with him that you were purposed and designed to have that Paul talked about in Ephesians 1 that I read before. Let me give you another example. Um, any of you members of, of a gym? Can I see your hands for a second? Any of you members? Look at all the healthy people here. Good for you. Now, Let's imagine that you, have, you, go to, you go to the Y or you go to Lifetime Fitness or wherever it is that you go. What that means is that there are certain things that are true of you. You can use those facilities whenever you want to. You get newsletters. You get special offers because you're important people. Uh, you're a member in good standing, right? Uh, th this is your gym status. But the catch is what's really meant is that you have a relationship with the gym. That's the point. The, the more often, by the way, the better. So when you work out regularly, then all of the potential of your membership status can be realized for you. You'll be the fit guy or the fit girl. That's what you'll be. Because you are participating in the relationship with the gym that you already have a status with. If you don't use it, and by the way, I know all of you would do leg day too, right? Because it's your favorite. But, but... Maybe you have a status with the gym, but you don't use it. Well, one, you're wasting your money. Right, that was free of charge. <laughs> you're wasting your money, and you're going to be unfit guy or unfit girl, and poorer for it, by the way. Do you see what I'm getting at? It's one thing for you to say, yes, I came to Jesus 20 years ago. 
and to talk to me about your status with him. But what if I said, what's your relationship like with him? Do you look more like the Magi who saw that the journey was worth it? Or do you look more like the religious leaders who are only several miles away but don't care? Let me give you another example. This goes back to 2007. January 12, 2007, there was a man, I'm going to show you a video here in a second. He sat in a metro station in Washington, D.C., and he started to play the violin. And in the next 45 minutes, he played six pieces by Bach. During that time, 1,100 people went through the station. Most of them were on their way to work, but I wanted to show it to you if you can play it for me. Why did I show you that? Um, Only six people, if you watch the extended video, only six people stopped to listen for 45 minutes, including a three-year-old boy whose mother uh, finally forced him to move along. He was so caught up in what was happening. There were about 20 people that dropped money in his case without stopping to listen. Literally, they walked by and went, and they dropped money in the case. I know you're curious. He made about 32 bucks that day. Big day. Uh, When he finished playing, just so you know, nobody noticed, no one applauded, one woman stopped to listen and engaged the musician in conversation because she recognized him. Oh my gosh. And so she just visited with him for a little bit. Here's the thing. The violinist was a guy named Joshua Bell. He was one of the finest classical musicians in the world. He had just played some of the most elegant music that had ever been written on a violin that is valued somewhere to the range of three and a half to four million dollars. He's thankful for the 32 bucks, right? Uh, two days before this was actually videoed, he was playing, uh, before he was in the subway, Joshua Bell sold out a theater in Boston where the average seat was at least $100. The Washington Post, just so you know, they staged this, this whole thing as a part of a social experiment. Because what they wanted to know was, in a commonplace environment, at a weird or inappropriate hour, do we perceive something beautiful and unique is happening? Do we stop and actually appreciate it? Do we recognize the magnificence of what's going on in front of us? And the answer that they concluded was, if we do not have a moment to stop and listen to one of the best musicians in the world, playing some of the best music that's ever been written, How many other things are we missing out on? Sometimes we're just too busy to even be a Christian. And I don't want that to be us. Not just for Christmas, but for our life. One, what is your status with Christ? Have you accepted him? You have a new standing. But second, what is your relationship with Christ? That's a different question. Some of us are flat missing out because we're too busy to have one. And as a result, we're missing out on something that is absolutely beautiful that's happening right in front of us. But missing out is how the story of Jesus' birth began when you think about it. And it's even how it ended. At the end of his life, Jesus died mostly unrecognized. 
He was crucified, as scripture says, by unsuspecting people. They had no idea who they were whipping. They had no idea who they were beating. And they had no idea who they were nailing to a cross. And it's not just me that says this. Acts 13, 27 tells you this. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers didn't recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that they were reading every Sabbath. Totally missed it. In his book, uh, Blue Like Jazz, Donald, Donald Miller told a story about a Navy SEAL who was performing a covert operation with a group, uh, freeing hostages in some of the darkest parts of the world, people that had been bound and imprisoned. It was a horrible situation. Well, there was one instance uh, Donald Miller was pointing out. The SEAL team stormed a room where hostages had been for months and months and months. The hostages were, by the way, over in a dark corner. They were curled up kind of together. The SEALs burst through the door. And you can imagine what that was probably like because these guys are like made up, right? And they come kicking through the door and they're looking at the hostages that are there. Well, you would probably think that their reaction would be like, oh, great. But the reaction wasn't like that. Because what they saw was guns, which is exactly what they were used to having pointed in their face as an act of a threat. And so you've got the seals going, you need to come with us. You need to come with us. And nobody, none of the hostages were even moving. None. Until one of the seals did this. He actually took his helmet off. He gave his gun to one of the other seals. And he walks over and he sits down next to the group. And he just sits with them for a while. And after a while, he starts to communicate with them. And they actually started to listen. And the reason it came about that they were willing to listen to him is because he became one of them. He just sat with them. And, and as Donald Miller was pointing out, because the way the story is, they were willing to get up after a while. He says, I'm an American and I'm here to help you not to hurt you. That's why I'm here. And so the first one got up. And after the first one got up and started to walk, the others started to get up. And they end up on an, on an aircraft carrier and they, they were safe. And that's good. But the point was, is what the SEAL was saying. I'm one of you. And I'm here to help. I'm here to help. What Donald Miller went on to say is he said, what raw power could not accomplish, weakness and vulnerability did. And when you think about what's happening at Christmas time, is that Jesus didn't come with raw power. He came with weakness and vulnerability, saying, I'm one of you, and I'm here to help. You remember when we were talking about being in Christ as both a status and a relationship. Here's what that means. That means that when Wendy and I got married, everything that was mine became hers, and everything that was hers became mine. If I had millions of dollars, she would have loved that. <laughs> but I was poor. Everything that was mine became hers, and everything that was hers became mine. If I had money, it became hers. If I had debt, well, you know, I mean, that just kind of goes with it, right? Goes with it. But Scripture is filled with the same image when it comes to our relationship with God. It describes Jesus as the groom. We are are his bride. And there's this promise in 1 Peter 1.4. It says, we receive an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, and it is kept in heaven. Nothing of the earth can take it away from you. It isn't even kept here. It's in a different place. 
And that's what Christmas is all about. Or as Tim Keller actually said, he said, the gospel, which is the good news, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. And yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we had ever dared hope. The question that I have for you this morning is what is your relationship with Jesus? And how have you come to him? Have you been coming to him like the Magi? The journey is worth it. And what I found at the end of the journey was God himself. Or are you looking a little bit more like the religious folk? That when it's a matter of convenience, I might fit it in. But the main thing I'm concerned about is my standing, but not my relationship. I want to challenge both of those things today. One is that you would be found in him. And the way that you do that is recognizing that you're a sinner in need of his grace, his unmerited favor. Because as the story goes, he came and dwelt among us. Why? So that we could get the help that we needed. He's like the seal that takes off the helmet, puts away the gun, takes on weakness and vulnerability and says to you, I'm here to help. If the problem is sin, we have to deal with the problem as it is, right? And that's exactly what Jesus did. He, friends, was born to die. He was born to die. The second question that I have for you today and something I would give you a moment to think about is, what does your relationship look like with him? Maybe you go back to the time when you gave your life to Jesus for me, that was April of 1986. That's when I did it. I can remember the day. I can remember my baptism. I can also remember times where my relationship, frankly, just needed some help. How about you? Today is a great day to follow in line with people that have come from you from time of old, where you say, as for me and my house, today we will serve the Lord. It's a good day to make that decision again. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.